Are you ready to jump into some true crime docs, crime thrillers, and more? Check out our website for an extensive list of our favorite movies and shows at thesirenspodcast.com slash watch, and find our favorite true crime and thriller books and authors, some covered on the show, at thesirenspodcast.com slash author alley. You can even find special deals for Amazon Music, Audible, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Showtime, and even Grubhub. If you're looking to jump in immediately, check out our pinned Facebook post for some streaming service free trials on us. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. So we're moving on to the last case here, and I do have a lot more information on this one. Uh, This one, we are going to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Most of the last part took place in Lafayette, Louisiana. This is in New Orleans, Louisiana. Now, if you look on that railroad map. That's what I was going to say. That that, that line runs right through Lafayette. It runs right through. And as a matter of fact, most of the people that were killed in that last case with Barnabette most of them lived along the railroad tracks. And so they did have a theory that a railroad killer was going through there, like riding through there at some at points and murdering people. Yeah. So, and, and the last killing in the Barnabet uh, case was 1913. We're jumping to May 1918. Remember, our first case happened within a year This case also happens within a year. So from May 1918 to October 1919, we have the Louisiana New Orleans Axeman. December 17th, 1917, local grocer on Apple Street, Efranio Andolini and his two sons, John, who was 14, and Salvador, who was 13, are attacked at around 3 a.m. in their home. His wife, Anna, and his infant daughter was sleeping right next to him and were not attacked. The man hit him in the head with an axe four times. The man then apparently threatened the wife with a pistol to silence her and ran into the next room with the boys. After he attacked both of them, he fled to the kitchen, And all of them survived. Now, this sounds very familiar to the earlier one that we had with with the little boy Mm -hmm. that he threatened. The first to succumb to a sharp blade of the Axeman was an Italian grocer named Joseph Maggio and his wife, Catherine, on May 23rd, 1918. They also were asleep in their bed. They had an apartment above, uh, they were grocers, and so they had an apartment above that grocery store. And the killer cut the couple's throats with a straight razor that actually belonged to Joseph's brother, Andrew, who lived there with them before bashing their heads with an axe. When law enforcement began to investigate, they found the bloody clothes of the murderer as he had obviously changed into a clean set before fleeing the scene. The brother, Andrew had actually woke up at some point and went in, had heard noises in there and thought like maybe it was maritals. And so he didn't bother. 
then later, uh, he went and knocked on the door, no answer, and went and found them. He's the one who, like, he, like, ran down the street trying to find somebody to come and help. When law enforcement began to investigate, so they found the bloody clothes. They uh, ruled out robbery as motive because nothing of value was taken and nothing was stolen by the intruder. Near the couple's home, a message in chalk read, quote, Mrs. Joseph Maggio will sit up tonight. Just write Mrs. Tony, end quote. So investigators immediately questioned several people. All were released for lack of evidence. They even questioned the brother and actually thought he was really good for it for a while um, because it was his straight razor. Um, But then they ended up letting him go. A little more than a month later, another couple was attacked in the early morning hours of June 28th, 1918. Louis Bussemer, another grocer, and his mistress Harriet Anna Lowe, lived in quarters at the back of the store. They were discovered by John Zanka, which was a baker who was making morning deliveries. He was found lying in a pool of blood and Bossimer had been struck with an axe above his right temple and Lowe was hacked over the left ear. Though badly injured, both were still alive. Once again, people were questioned. Um, There was one black man who was a new employee with them that was arrested for it, but then later let go for lack of evidence. These crimes made newspapers. Uh, A bigger note to some was this scandal of this mistress. Anna was actually married to the man's brother. (laughs) And while they were in the hospital, they were both taken to the hospital, Anna had actually claimed that she was Lewis's wife. And he, upon leaving the hospital, made it perfectly clear to everyone at the hospital that she was not his wife. As a matter of fact, he was said to have screamed, that woman is not my wife. After the attack, one side of Anna's face was partially paralyzed. And on August 5th, she did have surgery performed in an effort to correct it. But two days later, she died. Before she passed, she told authorities that she suspected it was Lewis which was her brother, her husband's brother and her secret lover, who attacked her and that he was, she was also sure he was a German spy. So somehow he attacked her and himself and was also a German spy. Now, authorities did find letters in his home in German and Yiddish. None of it was really relevant. <laughs> he was arrested, but released two days later. He was then arrested later again, and he was charged with murder, and he actually served nine months in prison before he was acquitted on May 1st, 1919, after a 10-minute jury deliberation. Uh Uh-huh. Ten whole minutes. (laughs) Ten whole minutes. Whoops. Our bad. (laughs) On August 5th, a third similar attack was made on a Mrs. Edward Schneider, who was eight months pregnant at the time, as the 28-year-old lay in bed... She awoke to see a dark figure standing over her, and she was bashed in the face repeatedly with an axe shortly after midnight. Now, he's using the blunt end at this point. Shortly after midnight, she was discovered by her husband, who was just returning from work, and her scalp had been cut open. Her face was completely covered in blood. She actually survived that attack long enough to give birth to a healthy baby girl two days later. One man was, I know, (laughs) mind-blowing, right? Well, or they did it. 
<laughs> or they said that in the new. They said that in the news to uh, hide the fact that they actually they performed had to, a cesarean yes, because yeah. that was not really talked about. Back yeah, then. it was. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, but also, if they performed a cesarean in 1917 and everything was totally oh, she fine, died. yeah. But everything was totally fine with the baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, she probably wasn't going to make it anyway. But exactly. if the baby was okay, like, good job, 1917 yeah. doctors. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> so one man was arrested on suspicion. He was released for lack of evidence. By this time, investigators began to publicly speculate that the attack was related to the previous incidents involving Balsamer and Maggio. So just five days later, yet another grocer, hmm. a man named Joseph Romano, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but these are Italian American immigrants. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I... Bingo. Yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely a... noticed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah. So, I was waiting to see if you just had three in a row. That's all I wanted. <laughs> yep. See if I the did. third one Same. was also. They're all grocers so far. Uh, and mm. Italian American. Yeah. The only one that doesn't make sense is the German. Is the German. Is the German Yiddish spy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he was or wasn't, but that just like what did that have to do with anything? Anyway, so um, five days later, another grocer, a man named Joseph Romano, was attacked on August tenth. The at the time, 80-year-old grocer lived with his two nieces who awoke to the sound of commotion in the adjoining room where their uncle resided. Pauline and Mary Bruno were being looked after by their uncle at the time, and the girls entered his room to find that he had taken a serious blow to the head, and they actually saw the assailant fleeing. The grocer, though seriously injured, was able to walk to an ambulance once it arrived, but he did die two days later due to severe head trauma. The girls were able to provide a brief description of the killer, heavy set man, but extremely agile, who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. He, this man was described as, at one point, um, a white man with, uh, with white hair. But heavy set. Heavier set, but agile. The one and only person we had in the very first case said he was heavy set, but also had a slouch hat. Uh, what year is this? Uh, right now, it is um, 1918. So it is 1913 was the Barnabet stuff, the end of the Barnabet stuff. And five um, years later. Five years later, yeah. So it would have been 20 years, 25 years previous. Yeah. yeah. So he would have. N- probably had white hair by now. No, it would have been 1884 was your very first murder of Molly. Mm-hmm. We're getting in 30. Yeah, so 30 years, Terry. 30, yeah. 35. Four, so if we had 35, a... 34, 35 years. If we had a 25-year-old doing this, I mean... He'd be 60. Yeah. Yeah, but he could easily still be doing this. Hey, look at Golden State. My man's Truth. doing pull-ups. Yeah. Truth. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But back then, heavy set didn't mean yeah, heavy overweight. Set, heavy set didn't always mean overweight. It, it, didn't always mean it overweight. meant it broad. Many was big. Yes, he was exactly. a he was a large, large, uh, broad fed. man. Just what happens if you leave a giant racist unchecked yeah. for 34 years. Exactly. He just kills everything. These, how he was gaining entry into the home. Now, we didn't know how, how anyone was gaining entry into the home in the first one. The second one, it looked like maybe they were coming through the windows. On this one, yes. They um, they would take the panels of the doors or windows were chiseled away to gain entry. So, it looks like maybe this person is upping their way of entry. And that last one here with the 80-year-old gentleman, by mm-hmm. the way, said that it, they found a large screwdriver for removing things and there was a 38 casing found. 
Yeah, which is weird because he didn't get, sh- like, no one got shot. But here's the thing. But you were talking about how when they get older. Yes. 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 You use a pistol to finish or if yep. he gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. At some point, also, something that may have happened to him, he may have been injured in one of these. That's true. He may not have all of his, yeah. uh, exactly. Or his toes. Exactly. <laughs> or his toes. But either way, at, at that point, this still, yeah. this actually, I actually think this owes a bit more to the methodology of this person who is actively fulfilling something yeah. he wants to do yep. because at this point he's getting older it's like I gotta have a retirement plan mm-hmm. if I, I want to keep doing can't this can't be accident yeah. people into yeah. my 70s well, man and exactly not without a gun gotta bring me a and pistol. the only I mean we do have witnesses here but they're both children yeah so you're you're probably gonna only get so much out of children that's not um, well was he a big man oh yeah yeah was he like you know what I mean? Like you're three foot nothing. Everybody there's going to be yeah. some leading when you when you ask children. Yeah. So, but also in this regard, this is also one of the first times that straightforward pointed yeah. out white man. Yes. Well, I did see something in the first ones where someone had described him as a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, we right. said white or light-skinned man in right. the first one. Which is why they went to the Malaysian fellow. Yes, yes. yes. So, other clues. The house were the houses were often ransacked, but nothing was ever stolen. Uh, now the killer is bringing his own hatchets and his own axes and his own blades. Sometimes he is still using what's there. Just like, like, like with Andrew's straight razor. Um, but sometimes he's bringing his own. But again, that straight razor was used prior to the event to cut the throats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he still brutalized them with, an with axe. the axe. Yes. This is a man who's lo- the he's same losing as his the, strength. The, it, no, it's the, the ice pick thing all over again. Yeah. Through that, no, yeah. He's, he's, he's dispatching them. them as yeah. quickly as he yes. can, as so, quietly as he can. So he can play with the body. So he yes. controls yeah. the people in the room. People are panicked. Um, you have a lot of reports coming in of... There's a man lurking out in the alley, and I think he's got an axe and Let stuff like that. Let the craziness re, uh, resume. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing was is that I think he's starting to toy with people because he's people start finding axes and chisels and things like that, straight razors, in their yards that are not theirs and that have not been used. Which could have also been people... Well, I mean, okay... There have been trolls in human history going Can't back forever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, never forget forever. the modus operandi that yeah. I live by every day. Is that people are garbage? And the, and the world, world is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was one report that said they saw the axe man and he was masquerading as a woman. <laughs> oh, why not? He shoe polished his whole body that exactly. first. Why wouldn't nope. he? No, makes sense. There was another that said he was seen leaping over a back fence. Okay. But, hey, Dad, tell yeah. you, Golden, yeah. my, my no, boy, no, your Joe, got a point. Golden State Killer is doing pull-ups Physica- at, what, 90? Physicality might be it. It just maybe yeah. he's a little lacking How on cardio. That's State where the gun guy? comes in. How old is that dude? He was 70s like now? 70-something, 76, dude, I think. I'm they 40. Him. I can't yeah. do a pull-up. My boy's got it. If this guy were born and was in the Civil War, then he would, at this point, it's 1918. You said? Yes. yes. Yeah. He would be either late 60s, early 70s, yeah. depending on when he went to war. We're also talking like late 60s, late 60s, early 70s in some of the heyday of Spanish influenza as well. Yeah. Well, not just that. I mean, people people were, uh, they worked every 
day they of their life. Yeah, exactly. They this really is a did. dude who could do oh, yeah. work until death. Correct. Yeah. If you do what you love, you'll never work a, a day, day in, in your, your life. life. <laughs> yeah, murder as many people as you want. All the way up to 90, you know? So over the months, the fear waned and the neighborhoods finally returned to normal. Uh, it wasn't until March 10th, 1919, when the Axemen struck again. Charles Cortamelia was an immigrant and grocer who lived with his wife, Rosie, and two-year-old daughter, Mary, in the town of Gretna, just across the Mississippi River from New Orleans. When screams were heard coming from the Cortamelia residence in the early morning hours, neighboring grocer, Lorlando Giordano, rushed across the street to investigate, where he found that the three had been attacked. Rosie had awakened to find her husband struggling with a large man wielding an axe. When her husband fell to the floor, the assailant turned on her and she held her daughter and begged for their lives. Undaunted, the killer slammed with the axe down on both the mother and the daughter. When the neighbors arrived, Charles lay in a pool of blood on the floor as Rosie stood in the doorway with a serious head wound, clutching her deceased daughter in her arms. The couple was rushed to the hospital where both were treated for skull fractures. Charles was released two days later while his wife remained in the care of doctors. I know these people back then were hardy as Dude, a skull injury? <laughs> or they like, just didn't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> a skull injury. Yeah. And they're like, look, you can walk, man. You got yeah. to get out of We have this them, wonderful yeah. new invention for you. It's called whiskey. I get it now. We're almost <laughs> Get done. over it. Look, man, we need the bed. You got to get yeah. out of this bed. Right. So they talked to Rosie um, once she gained consciousness. She stated that the attack was made by the grocer who had found her, which was a competitive grocer, by the way. Okay, yeah, but she's got an open head wound, so I'm not yes, really going yes. like, to you know, take anything she says um, at face value. I'm trying maybe. to remember things. <laughs> I, they're going to tie into what I'm seeing right now. You did it! By, by him and his 18-year-old son, Frank, though at the time, this guy was 70 years old, and he was in really poor health, so, you know. To have committed the crime at the time, I don't know. Maybe Frank could have done it. He was, but I love the young people. <laughs> what's funny is that I mean, it's funny. It's funny, but it's not funny. This report says that Frank, the 18-year-old son, was too big to have fit through the panel in the back door. However, they were arrested regardless. On the comment of fun, the Sirens podcast would like to remind you we do not condone the fun crime of murder. <laughs> no. It's very sad. Regardless of him not being able to fit and him not being in good health and being super old. Uh, There's no universe where they did it. No, they not are, at all. <laughs> but they arrested them anyway. Of course. Yeah. And uh, of course. <laughs> if so, why the hell not? More racist <laughs> yeah. cop um, story. And, and Charles is still awake now. I mean, he's gained consciousness too and he is denying all of these claims that it wasn't them and it didn't matter. They were found guilty. And Frank was sentenced to hang. Uh, his father was sentenced to life in prison. It's after 30 minutes because he's 80. Yeah. After the trial, Charles divorced his wife. About a year later, Rosie revised her claim stating that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite, with her claim being the only evidence against the Giordanos, and they were released from jail shortly thereafter. There's no universe where that guy did anything. That dude's 108. <laughs> There's no way that guy... I served in every war since 1812! Look at his tie! Yeah. He doesn't even tie his own tie. He's not even tied. You're telling me 
carefully orchestrated the murder of three people. That's the look of a man who doesn't know where he is. Or maybe dead, in fact, and they just propped him up. <laughs> I, I oof. Mr. Giordano, you're under arrest for murder. I already ate today. Bananas! <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Giordano, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. Sounds good. <laughs> Neat. All right, but just put him in the car. Following uh, the Cordamilia attacks, and then apparently they later died. <laughs> New- <But. laughs> it just says the Cordamilia murders. So apparently they later passed away. Complications due know, to murder. Due to an open brain <laughs> wound. Exactly. That you treated for two days. Yep. <laughs> I can't believe it. How did this happen? It sent him home to sleep it off. Medicine's so advanced. I poured water on it and everything. Yeah. So New Orleans was again filled with terror and once again began to arm themselves, even though this happened across the uh, across the river. The police stated that they believed all the crimes had been committed by the same man. Um, and then... We don't want anybody to freak out or anything, but we think we have a serial killer. <laughs> we have no idea where he is. Yep. He's right here in this room. He might be you. <laughs> The Times-Picayan newspaper received a taunting letter on March 14th, 1919, that promised another attack. All right, let's have a look. Let's see what we got here. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth, I am not a human being. But a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axe Man. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc., but tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it was better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished... I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. Now to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, March 19th, 1919, ooh, I am going to pass over New Orleans. Good God, in my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time. I have just mentioned, if everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. 
Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Postscript. I don't like grocery stores. (laughs) Like, what in the ever-loving crap basket? Fact check. He was not indeed a spirit. (laughs) (laughs) The producer looked it up, and he was not a spirit. My boy is just like, all right, look, I've killed so many people. And if you guys don't all turn your radio stations to 98.7 The Buzz. (laughs) Yep. I was like, what is happening? I would like to point out that this is quite possibly the single greatest party prank that's ever happened. Let's throw the greatest rager of all time. I know. How do we get people to do this? I know. Tell them that they're fucked if they don't party as hard as they can. It's New Orleans in 1920. I know. Just politely ask them to play jazz. Yeah. Uh, And they did it. Yeah. Of course they did it. Of course they did. The music flowed from homes across much of the city. Dance halls were filled to capacity. Professional and amateur bands played jazz at parties all night long at hundreds of houses around town and no one was killed. The Axeman murders are so ingrained in the town's spirit that they actually inspired a whole subsection of NOLA music. Quote, Axeman's Jazz end quote was the first hit single of this musical branch. The mysterious Axeman's Jazz Don't Scare Me Papa in 1919. Anyway, so for several weeks, all was quiet, but people still lived in fear. On August 10th, 1919, another grocer named Steve Boca was attacked in his bedroom as he slept. Boca awoke during the night to find a dark figure looming over his bed. Suffering from a blow from an axe, he survived, and upon regaining consciousness, he ran to the home of his neighbor, Frank Ganusa, where he lost consciousness there and collapsed. The neighbor contacted the charity hospital ambulance and he was treated for his injuries but was unable to remember the details of the attack. Like others who had been assailed by the axe man, nothing was taken from his home and a panel on the back door of the home had been chiseled away. That was August 10th. Okay, so then on September 2nd, that a month later, uh, a man actually avoided being attacked when he heard someone trying to break in. Um, through the back door and he just started shooting <laughs> and apparently completely ran this guy that's off. That's the first example of Louisiana justice I've heard Bingo. so far. That's the most accurate to today. If you start hacking on a Louisiana citizen's door today, I just started yeah. they're shooting. Gonna shoot just started you shooting. Through exactly. the door. His name was William Carson and he was a local pharmacist. Yeah, he just started firing several shots and the the person just took off and left behind a broken door and his axe. On September 3rd, 1919, a young girl named Sarah Lumen 
was attacked with an axe while she slept in her locked and shuttered home. When neighbors came to check on the young woman who had lived alone, they discovered her lying unconscious on her bed, suffering from a severe head injury and missing several teeth. Though she suffered from a brain concussion, she did recover. A bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn of the building. The attacker had entered through a window instead of picking the lock on the back door like all the others, and the doctors noted the wound seemed circular in nature. Hammer. It's unknown if she is an actual victim of the axe man or not. Now, I want to point out, if this is the same dude... We're talking about him getting older. Uh-huh. Um, you'll notice he's not killing just a whole lot of them. Yeah. He's not doing a good job of it, he's I'll going, say. He's going for solo kills. Yeah. He's also, people younger, alone. Yeah. Younger. Younger yeah. women in this case. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and the ones that he's attacking with the family there, he's like beating the crap out of them, hoping that he's going to kill them, but then they end up surviving. Well, I mean, the old man. Or they end up dying way later. Yeah. And now he's, like, not even breaking in correctly. But this next one, I feel like is could be the Axeman's. But we're starting to get into hinky territory Yeah, now. but we're also starting to get into maybe somebody just murdered somebody to cover it up with the Axeman again, like the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this one... October 27th, 1919, it was a grocer. Uh, His name was Mike Pepitone, and he was killed. That night, his wife Esther heard a noise and arrived at the door of the bedroom just as a large axe-wielding man was fleeing the scene. Pepitone had been struck in the head 18 times and, and was covered in his own blood. Now, this is the first one... That has been struck that many times and died instantly. Yeah, we've talked about a few have been struck multiple, yes. but that's, wow. Mm-hmm. That's more elusive to his earlier Texas work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. His murder left his wife Esther and their six children behind who were all untouched. I feel like you're starting to think like I'm thinking. That's a little... There's a difference between I'm doing this and the I can blame it on the Axeman versus I specifically wanted to kill this person and make it look like the Axeman. So Mrs. Pepitone was unable to describe any characteristics of the killer even though he was standing directly in front of her for a good while before he fled. The usual clues were left behind, but here's the deal. All of this is now... In the paper. Yeah. Like, they have told everyone uh, what he's using, how precisely. he's breaking in, Again, how he's leaving the yeah. scene. This is yes. this is already way past sensationalization because they had the jazz night because of this. There isn't a person in New Orleans at this point who I... doesn't know who this guy could be. And this was the last of the Axeman's killings. I don't buy that one. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Before this was the woman, was the young girl who survived, right? Right before this one, Sarah Lumen, who yes, was the young woman the young who girl. survived, mm-hmm. and they found they found the hatchet just casually thrown into the front, which has happened On in the a front lot of lawn. these. Yeah, but at the same time, that seems like to me that was a I'm done, or he he went off and had a heart attack. <laughs> so you have the attack of the um, pharmacist that was completely botched Mm -hmm. because he shot at you and you took off running and then from there you went down to a little girl and she survived yeah yeah that one sounds like a failure and and he left it and then we jumped to a man who was killed in his home with his wife and six children present 
and was hatched hacked, hatched up 18 times. Yeah, and why the hell couldn't she times. why couldn't she describe him? Exactly. Plus, yeah. can we just exactly. take a second to appreciate in this photo of Mike and Esther Pepitone the dick beaters on this dude? <laughs> Look how big oh, yeah. that dude's hands are. Oh yeah. You're no. telling me that a 50 a 65 year old man couldn't kill a little girl because he was so far at the end of it. Yeah. But he just happened to muster up the rage of his of, previous yeah. killings when he was 30 and 20 and snatch that dude 18. No. Yeah, she couldn't describe it because she did it. She's a foot and a half taller than this dude. She, Thank you. Yeah, like, look, beside, uh, besides the fingers on Mr. Pepitone, look at the shoulders on Mrs. Pepitone right there. She she's so broad. Yeah, she's a linebacker. She's so broad. She was not happy with the way that he treated her and, or something in this case. Yes, and not only yeah. that, later she changed her story and said, oh, there were two men nope, that, you did it. that you, came into she the did home. It. Uh, and she remarried like a couple of months later. I don't want to say it. Yeah. There it is. I I did it. There it is. That is his um, death certificate. Mr. and Mrs. Beefy McGee over here. Hey, and we're finally getting into the dawn of criminalistics. Look at that geographical map. Yep. Yeah. It is very, very close together that all of these things, like, just, like, basically, so there's a little slew of uh, attacks in one neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There are are four together. And then there's a slew, three together in another neighborhood. A slew, three together in another neighborhood. Five together in another neighborhood. So, yeah, we're just jumping neighborhoods here and hoping one sticks. Talking about literally what you just said, Rick. Of yeah, moseying. You've got the cluster up there in the uh, up in the north up in the northeast there. Of uh, they're at different intervals, but that's that's a stomping ground. You've got the western uh, grouping over there, but that one in the center right there. That's a that's a scoping. That's literally I wanted th- this area, and I came back to the other one on purpose. That's the part that drives me nuts about this case, and makes me know for a fact that it was a white dude. Yeah, because those locations are just a dude walking down the street. Exactly. You would never think he was out of place, no matter where he went. Yeah. yeah. No matter where this dude goes. Yeah. That's just what. Yeah. That's literally He's just, just walking a down the street. Dude on the street. Yeah. That you would never look at twice. And in this timeline, in this year, he's a 65-year-old dude with a slouch hat. Yeah. You're not going to look at that dude twice. He's going to walk right past you. And yeah. every one of these are uh, Italian immigrant families. Yeah. Most of them, almost, I would say 98% of them are grocers. And then you have um, the one, uh, the druggist is what they called him. Old the word one for that, pharmacist. The, yeah, yeah, pharmacist. That and, soda cl- and soda jerk. Well, and then of course you have, you know, just homemakers and and single women. But Yeah. No, this is clearly the path of somebody who is getting to retirement age when you pay it, when you see it. This is somebody getting old and not anywhere near as capable as they used to be. We're going to move on to this guy right here. Uh, He was one of the largest suspects. His name is Joseph Mumphrey. Uh, He was... So, okay. Crime writer Colin Wilson, based on an account by author Robert Talent, suspected Joseph Mumphrey. Also said Monfrey or Momfrey or Manfrey. Um, so he's suspected as being the axe man because he was in Nor- New Orleans at the time and he left shortly after the Pepitone murders. He was allegedly shot to death in December of 1920, so two years later, in Los Angeles 
by Esther Pepitone, the widow of Mike Pepitone. <laughs> he speculated that Esther had killed her husband's murderer for revenge. So this guy was also her second husband's business partner. Okay, so Esther's just a murderer. <laughs> yeah. He apparently approached Mrs. Pepitone, and here's the kicker. By the time that he had approached Miss, Mrs. Pepitone, her second husband had already disappeared without a trace. That bitch Carol Baskins? Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, uh, according to her, he demanded $500 in jewelry from her. That's like $50 billion <laughs> today's money. <laughs> or, or he would kill her like, quote, he killed her husband. According to her, she retrieved two guns and fatally shot him. He had a pistol on him at the time. However, she shot him once with one gun and then shot him 11 more times with the other. <laughs> and here's the, the crazy part. I got him with the first one, but I had to be sure. Yeah. She was actually, tri- she went to trial. She was arrested and went to trial, but she was acquitted on grounds of self-defense. Shot him eleven yeah. more times. Yeah, at okay, least twelve. Whatever. And there All right. it is, Esther right is there. a murderer. I killed this man. I killed him a lot. And like, yeah, yeah, whatever, ma'am. <laughs> Angelo Albano was her second husband. Ah, seven kids and two grown men. Man, I don't even. Yeah. All right. I'm exhausted yeah. by Esther. So She's that's a why She's a murderer. That's yeah. why I say I don't think that last one was the Not X Man's. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Not even no. There were also reports that stated that Mumphrey was actually in jail during some of the Axeman's uh, killings. And very confused and by being murdered yeah. by his- Exactly. <laughs> hey, oh, wow! <laughs> um, he was apparently in jail from 1911 to 1918. Uh, there were also a man... There was, there may have been a man called Joseph Mumphrey in New Orleans, but wasn't the same person. Um, there were also talks about him being in organized crime and committing some sort of bombing in 1907. Whoa! But, like, none of this was, none of it could be confirmed. Oh, Mr. Nobel and your wonderful invention. <laughs> Two of the alleged early victims of the Axeman were an Italian couple named Chiambra. They were shot by an intruder in their home in 1912, and the prime suspect were referred to by the name of Mumphrey multiple times. Author J. Robert Nash believed Mumphrey to be a hitman working for the mob Uh. whom extorted money from Italian grocers. However, not all Axeman victims were Italians or grocers. So, according to scholar Richard Warner, the chief suspect in the crimes was Frank Mumphrey, who used the alias Joseph Mumphrey. (laughs) Not a very yeah. good alias. So, yeah, no. Anyway, moving on to Andrew Maggio. He was suspected, but he was uh, eventually left out. He was one of the victim's brothers, remember? Uh-huh. Then there was Louis Obicon, who was an African-American man who was briefly suspected of the Bossamer attack. He was later released for lack of evidence. Then Louis Bossamer himself who was later uh, acquitted a man named Emmett Daniels which was a World War 2 or World War 1 vet charged in 1917 with the murders of two women in Belgium in 1915 he was suspected of many more but acquitted on all accounts one member of his battalion claimed that he killed a woman with an axe and kept beating her and with the blunt end until she died then another man named James Gleason he was a former convict but he was later released okay then a man named Jake Bird. He was a self-confessed serial killer. He was eventually tried and executed for some axe murders in Washington State. 
um, and he had been through the area at one point, but all that kind of fell apart. Um, There was also a majority of the victims were of Italian descent, and there were talks of the Black Hand. I'm sure you've heard of them before. It was an absolutely uh, way bigger movement at the turn of the century. But, but see, all right. No, no, well, no, 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 no. It it's sounds poetic good. and cornball a little bit, but it seems like it was our boy from Texas migrated down I that I have been railway. saying this the whole time. Oh, That's yeah. why I wanted to present it in a way where you're like, how is that not the same guy? It's. It sounds like he migrated there, and then our girl, the last girl that he left the axe yep. in the yard. I know yeah. it sounds cheesy. I know it sounds yeah. poetic and no, corny. No, absolutely. But mm-hmm. I think he could, He realized he couldn't kill this yes. girl. Yes, and he just done. stopped. Yeah. And he just stopped. So axe murders were really hot and heavy at this point in time. This was just three of them. There was another one, Viscella, the Viscella murders. Um, Lizzie Borden was killing during the time of the first one, I believe, or the second one, I can't remember. Oh, producer. (laughs) Axe murders were really the thing to do at the time because every home had an axe in it because every home needed to be heated. Absolutely. Around 1892. Oh, okay. So there you go. Everybody's, axe, axe, just, everybody's doing it. It's the cool it's thing, the cool thing to, do. to do is just come into your house and pick up your axe that you bought and then kill your whole family with But it. the similarities between all of these cases just seems to clump these together. The, how close they were together, how they transitioned in time when one would stop, another would begin, the way that they were done, the similarities you can see between some of the cases and how... Like how he handled some things. It's very so. interesting. It poses a very interesting. You had a movement. You have a geographical mapping of uh, potential victims. Excellent timing. It's phenomenally yeah. put together. I would. Can we talk <laughs> about the most amazing thing for me about all this is how many survived? Yep. Do you know how gnarly an axe wound oh, is? Oh, I can oh, yeah. imagine. Even a hatchet wound. Yeah. Like that's a whole that I can't close. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. needs surgery. Yeah. Today, if you got <laughs> that's what they were like, man, you're in ICU Ooh, for weeks. You're fine. Let's yeah. send you home, and then they die. That blows my mind. Yeah. Blows my mind. <laughs> well, they probably knew. Like, there's nothing yeah. we can do. Let him die at home or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Axed in the yeah. forehead. You're probably good. I don't know. <laughs> maybe drink more water. Here's some yeah. morphine. Have a good day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so no, back then, man, it yeah. was like. Good stuff. It absolutely was. Coke, ether. heroin, ether. Yeah, buddy. It was nuts. So what do we think? Same guy? Absolutely. Same guy. Yeah, I'm I think right with you guy. on that. And I think it was our white dude. No matter what, I think it was white, white dude. White dude. Absolutely. My loyalties are for sale. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. It was a white dude. But I think that maybe he drifted between these, um, these states. Could have been. Uh, because like you said, white dudes could go anywhere and do anything. Yeah. I mean, you just had to look the part. As long That's as it, yeah, I the, mean, you, as long as you didn't look too nobody's trampish. Nobody's going to stop you in 1905. No. You mm-hmm. walk with your chin up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They think you're in charge. Especially with yeah. a, especially with a, uh, with a burgeoning, soon to be explosive yeah. new town in Texas. Can't confirm. Any white man walking mm-hmm. up saying, I'd like to live here and work here. And well, murder people. And, and the whole thing with like in, in Austin... He stopped because someone got caught. Exactly. And in in Lafayette, he stopped because someone got caught. 
Why wouldn't he just keep moving down the and rail then, line? Basically? And then if it's the same guy in New Orleans, he stopped because he got too fucking old and he realized that he was I too old I can't do it this. anymore, yeah. man. Not to mention... Which I think is why he jumped to um, taunting in the... in the. You think that was just a completely... I think guy. that was completely unrelated. <laughs> I, I think, think that was related. just a dude that <laughs> likes jazz. Pre-prohibition, by the way. It's just pre-prohibition, right. which at that yeah. time, the parties in America were insanity yeah. just before prohibition. Yeah. And by insanity, he means playing piano. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Doing the Charleston and shit. Listening to the devil's insanity. music. They did it nine at night. Satan! You come out and be like, hey, Dave, you know anything about this razor, my friend? be like, I don't know. Maybe your dog quit shitting in mine. Razors quit showing up in yours, buddy. Yeah. That's the end of it. But that letter, early turn of the century, some of the most popular literature of the era were the works of people like Frank Baum, creator of The Wizard of Oz. That is how literature was written in the early 20th yes. century. Well, and yes. also leaning again towards my theory that it's absolutely an educated white dude. Is it that was so well structured? It the was. verbiage was... And, and I would gone. like to point out the fact that if it was the same guy, he just left Lafayette where there was a huge voodoo thing going on with all of that. And Could you be? know how criminals like to inject yes. themselves into investigations, so he's following all this satanic but, nonsense. But if he was, if it is the same guy, and he did write the letter, then maybe he was trying to start another panic. Could be. By mentioning the devil's whatever. Well, you are, if we are dealing with the patterns of this person who has gone completely after either immigrants or local black folks mm-hmm. in this case. You're uh, dealing- not even then. What was the other ones? The other two girls? Oh, Sweden. the Swedes. Yeah. Just, just anything just different. Just anything different. <laughs> or mm-hmm. it was absolutely written up by someone trying to literally just make... Yeah, fuck. Make it could have been, dude. Yeah. People are garbage. World's well, a nightmare. It could have been anybody. It, it could have been a jazz the, trumpet player that couldn't get a job. The writing, for six months. Of, yeah, that too. But He's the writing of it, it literally reads like a book. Yeah, it was it written really by does. someone who was just trying to flex their. Uh, who were, that was a creepy pasta for the 1920s, uh, the early 1900s. And I think the the weird part, another weird part is, is that if it's not the same person, like we have in Austin, it was a year. It was only a year. Yeah. And then we have Lafayette. It was two years. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe three if we're counting the, what they think is the earliest one. And then in New Orleans, we have eight years. Now, the weird one that I'm... The thing that I'm really interested in, too, here, is that huge gap of time between Austin and then Louisiana. Well, I am very interested to know where he went and what he did. If he's taking the train lines. If he was riding the train lines. I haven't even looked into the Vizquela murder or the axe murders or whatever. Maybe that lines up as well. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Look, I think if we've learned anything from this episode, it's that if you think somebody is going to break in your door, just shoot through that motherfucker. (laughs) Shoot through it. That's the most Louisiana shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so um, that that wraps up the axe murders of the South. And I want to thank my guests, Rick Rollins Ew. and Simon Vaughn, for being with me today. And for being so handsome. Oh, <laughs> and for being Well, I was talking about me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm rude. <laughs> crazy hot. You guys should see my picture. It's, uh, it's good. It's a pretty good picture. But it's not as good as Simon's because he is chiseled from granite. I didn't. I didn't want to say anything. 
I'll say it for you. Oh, thank you. But, uh, you know. Bye. <laughs> You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?